We're people. Let's enable people. Let's not just enable the sale. This is Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast, here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing. Stop guessing. If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman. And I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios. What's shaking, bacon? Oh, bacon is frying. Why is that? Karina, this episode with Steph White, a.k.a. the hype woman we didn't know we needed but all wanted, a.k.a. the professional energy inducer. And I think I bring the heat, but when I stand toe-to-toe against Steph White, I am bringing a knife to a gunfight because we talked everything from sales enablement to Coca-Cola and everything in between. You heard that right. Steph is leading B2B revenue enablement over at Lupio. And on this episode, she shares countless gems with us, Karina. I just can't say enough about this episode. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I didn't drink enough of my Red Bull for this episode. So hopefully um, you will get all the energy you need from Steph and Danny. But it was incredible. Steph is just a wealth of knowledge. Like you said, she's everybody's personal hype woman, professional energy inducer. But yeah, we talk about different marketing campaigns and we talk about her ways to do sales enablement with them. And I just can't wait for you to hear more from Steph and what she's doing from B2B revenue, enablement perspective at Lupio, and just the little tidbits and some goodies you're going to get out of this episode. Well, you started with shaking bacon. Now it's time to bring home the bacon. DJ, let's spin this episode. I was thinking about what would be a suitable intro for you, Steph, because everyone in their lifetime, personally or professionally, deserves a hype woman like you. We just need a little bit of canned Steph White, especially in these trying times. I hope I'm not the first person to tell you that. You can tell me this all day. I'm here for this. I think, honestly, we all just need a little bit more oomph in our day. And whether that is a hype woman or whether that's someone just being like, you killed it, Danny. You killed it on this deal. You delivered that thing so well. Or by the way, I just really like you, man. Being able to have those moments with people, I feel like we all just need more of that. We're people. Let's enable people. Let's not just enable the sale. I think for today's conversation, Steph, we want to continue to unpack a lot of things, but in particular, starting with where enablement has been during peacetime, where it's been during a bullish market. And it's no surprise to anyone, we are no longer in that time. We are in a wartime and we are in a bearish market. And you think about what were primary functions for enablement and you think about, God, we just need more folks here. And we're certainly looking for talent, but we're onboarding people. That being something that you think about a lot. So what do you think about as you redistribute capacity to other enablement functions to adjust to what we're now contending with macroeconomically? So I think if we take a step back, in the last two years, a lot of SaaS companies, a lot of B2B tech, particularly in North America and Western Europe, were on just hiring frenzies. Salaries went nuts. People were hiring all over the place because there was this notion of, don't worry, that's going to pay itself back so fast. We saw 40% growth year over year in terms of our market position or our overall top line revenue. And so enablement was very much a get it done, get it done, get it done, which cool, but so short-lived. Now we're at a point where we're seeing those things scale back. I certainly am. And are we at a hiring freeze? No. But we are slowing down and we're being a heck of a lot more strategic. I think what's interesting is when I talk to other enablement and revenue leaders, we're seeing some companies actually invest more in each role. And what I mean by that is they're bringing in less volume of junior people and a higher volume of senior people. What's cool about that is of course for the business, it's better 
because when you have an opportunity and you want to redistribute some more senior or tenured responsibilities, you have more people you can do that with. If you're getting into more complex deals, you now have more sellers who can get involved in those deals. So there's the win for the business. But the flip side also is for enablement, as much as it's super fun to teach the basics of how to use a sequence in an email, what's really awesome and where a lot of us get passionate, of course, like, okay, so you've been selling for three years and yeah, you can hit 90% quota. Good for you. But don't you want to be better? Let's go get it. That's when we can start to do the really impactful new strategic enablement programs. Thinking about what you just said and getting people fired up when spirits are down, right? It has been a paradigm shift from what was a pretty gluttonous period of tech sales and people are making it rain and it doesn't feel like it's more than just a day's work to get to Presence Club. But now it feels kind of like a Hail Mary pipe dream. Finding the combination of enablement personnel, but then also tech stack are the exact questions we're asking in spite of what has been years of sensational success. So I really appreciate the prompt step. One thing I do want to double click into that I've never heard before, but I think is a very poignant descriptor of being on this crash diet and the pendulum swinging dramatically, right? I've totally been there when my tuxedo is a little snug and I've got a wedding next weekend. Oh yeah. And it's not sustainable, but it is a dramatic course correction. And we're seeing course corrections now all across tech. I am curious, in addition to the course correction that we're seeing in personnel and talent, what are you doing to trim the fat on your tech stack, but also making sure that you don't over-rotate and shoot your people in the foot? So I think the worst thing you can do is just keep swinging that pendulum from one extreme to another. And if we're going to stay on the analogy of the crash diet, if your suit is a little tight and like we've all been there hey. and you're like, I'm just going to eat salad today. I'm going to eat salad and it's not going to set me up to be healthy in the long term, but I need to wear that suit tomorrow. Cool. You also can't forget about that the next day and the next day and the next day. Reaction after reaction after reaction is bad business, in my opinion. And it's super bad enablement. So how that all plays in is you get into the notion of people just saying, ship it or do what you got to do. And I think a lot of the last year, two years, it was like, ship it, ship it, ship it. We got to go fast. And there wasn't a lot of long-term thought to the nutrition we were putting into our business with our tech stack. Get that. It's like, if all you ate for the last few days is salad, you need protein. You need to go eat an avocado. You got to think about your long-term health. So you've been super reactionary with your tech stack. What are you going to do about it now? If your answer is rip something out, you're meeting a reaction with a reaction. Freeze. You need to respond, not react. I love that. It's pausing and reflection. It's the idea of efficient growth that we need to work towards. And that definitely involves a much broader set of skill sets. And I think a much broader go-to-market team. So considering that, how can leaders or teams start to think about holistically how to go to market with enablement? As it relates to TechSack, the thing I would say, if you haven't fully dug into all of those emails of your existing SaaS products and the new features that have rolled out before you call any kind of leadership meeting, spend a week, go through all the features and functions that have been made available and make sure you're leveraging them. You do not want to be in a situation where you're making decisions because you only know 70% of what is available to you. 
once you have the full list and you're aware of this is what we're using in our existing tech stack, that's when you then have your leadership conversation because that's where you get into the creative stuff. Hey, if I can borrow a resource from this other team or get a 0.5 FTE, I could now be leveraging all these new integrations between our tech stack. It'll cost us no net new money out, especially if we have another resource who is not at full capacity right now. And we will get much higher ROI for our existing spend to not be reactionary. You'll also see like, hey, by the way, does anyone realize we now have a redundancy in our tech stack? I don't need this tool that does X because Y, which gives us a lot more value, is now dipping their toe in the water. And we're starting to see that more and more across the SaaS tech stack for sales, right? That is the very first place I would go. Then when I call my sales leaders in, here's our current state. Here's what's possible. Here's what I would recommend. Those three things to open the conversation. And the question I would use to open that conversation is, does anything surprise you? I love that because it's open-ended and it gets a lot back to how tech leaders need today. I mean, there's no tech company, I think, in the market today that's not rethinking their positioning statement, right? And so often we need to revisit that, of course, internally to your point, but also we need to be asking that of the vendors that we choose to buy as well. I think they often tend to forget who are their like real champions. And often that's the end user. I think you need to treat every single person that comes to your website as if they are already a customer. That means you need to understand your end user. So talk to me a little bit more about your passion for end users and why they're so important and crucial. So for those who are listening to this, y'all might remember the Pepsi challenges back in the day. The experiential marketing where customers connected with products in real life situations. When I started my career, I started in marketing in that world where everything was about physically connecting the product to the person, seeing their reaction, getting their real-time feedback. I am in retrospect incredibly grateful for that because what I didn't realize at the time was starting in consumer impact marketing before going into sales taught me to always be thinking about how that end user is interacting with the product, service, or thing that I'm selling. Nothing matters other than when you crack open that can, is it what you expected? Do you like it? And are we delivering it in a way that, by the way, aligned with what we told you we're going to deliver to you? Did we tell you it was going to taste like grape soda and then it tastes like lime? That's horrible. We need to be a lot better on our messaging. What's really cool is at Lubio, and for those who don't know, Lubio is a sales response management platform. Our revenue enablement team actually owns the sales response function, meaning we are our own internal customers of the product that we are also training our other internal customers to then empower end users to use. And for me, that couldn't be a better place to be at because I get to play all roles and it gives us the real insight on hey, we're thinking about launching this new feature. A lot of people talk about everything under the kitchen sink. You want your product to do everything. No, you don't. It's noisy. It's confusing. It's not impactful. Forget about 25 things. What are the five things that you absolutely need the platform to do incredibly well? And what are the next five things that are going to be the game changer to your end user's day that they didn't anticipate or expect from you? 
You just perfectly described your favorite marketing campaign and how you're now connecting it to your day-to-day at Lupio. And I love that. The quick question for you, Steph, since we're on the topic of that, is there a favorite book or podcast or even influencer that got you to also continuously think the way that you just described the full customer life cycle and community and teaching one another? I think there have been a lot of great leaders and books over the times, you know, things like even understanding modern sales motions and understanding how sales has evolved. But I think for me, really understanding what is the larger macro economy creating in terms of an environment for your customer, the thought leaders who have focused on connecting the here and now that you need as an individual to the bigger world that you live in, those are the people. And those books have taken so many forms. There's been so many of these hugely impactful books and leaders and speeches. But I really think of it all in terms of you are not the person that's on your desk. You have a lot of layers. You're an onion. There's lots of different things that come into your day and your experience. But somehow people have lost sight of that. So I always encourage people to read and learn about the bigger picture. And so it's not one thought leader. It's not been one book. I'd say it's always having the perception that diversity matters, not in hiring, but in learning diversity matters and exposure matters. Sales enablement is a crucial function to your organization's success. Steph has provided so many great examples of why this is, but let's back it up with some data. According to G2, organizations with sales enablement achieve a 49% win rate on forecasted deals compared to 42.5 for those without. And there's a payoff for doing enablement well. Companies that execute strategic best practices for sales enablement experience an almost 14% increase in their annual contract values and overall deal size. So let's hear more from the pro herself, Steph. If there's been quite a move to who is hiring and who is looking to be hired, right? Different types of personas. So a lot of quota carriers are actually looking to move into sales enablement. Another kind of rare trend that's happening is educators. So former teachers are looking to move into sales enablement. What would you advise people that have either been typically a quota sales carrier or in fact, this other new trend of educators entering into sales enablement. So if we back it up to two years ago, there was a report that came out. I believe it was a sales enablement collective. And at the time, it was roughly a third, a third, and a third of enablement professionals coming from sales roles, marketing roles, or other. And I would love to see when we run the breakdown from the last six months, how that shifted. Because in the same time, in the last five years, what we've seen is enablement used to be this very conceptual idea. It was, well, enablement is whatever each unique business needs. And it started very much as training. We'll see the parallels to L&D in a second, right? When we talk about teachers transitioning. But there was this whole generation of sales ICs and sales managers who started to catch wind of this enablement thing that was happening six, seven years ago, particularly in the US. So it's evolved really organically from just training to involving tech stack to our earlier conversation to also now dabbling in the world of sales coaching, which is a very different skill set, to content creation, 
which is a very different skill set. And we have curriculum writers coming from education institutions. By the way, if you have been writing content in an educational field, you need to get on your resume and under your belt basics of copywriting and how corporate messaging is effectively phrased in bite-sized communications. Use the skills that you have as a content writer to expand beyond just learning content to customer-facing messaging content. If you are a teacher who's a facilitator, you need to learn the data of the sales world. You now need to understand how the revenue engine of a private or public corporation works. And the last piece I'll talk about, sales ICs. Um, somebody recently posed the question to me, what would you rather hire, an MBA fresh out of school as a sales manager or the top performing AE from another company who has no people management experience? And why? And I'll give my answer, but I would love to hear from each of you. Would you take the NBA or the overachieving IC? No question. I would take the one that is the latter because they're going to be more likely to be people-oriented and know how to multi-thread a deal. Go ahead, Danny. I'm going to echo that sentiment. Didn't have to think twice about this. <laughs> With all due respect to academic pedigree and what you learn, in that academic setting, I'd sooner take the person who's been battered and bruised by the school of hard knocks and can relay, parlay those more contextually relevant lessons to whoever they're gonna manage, even if it's in a new company. And that's, I think, been the reaction of a lot of us, right? Okay, let's take the person who's been in the trenches. Let them teach others based on what they found to be successful. Here's the problem with that. Bad habits and emotional attachments to other people's success. And I'm going to draw a story for you. I have a young daughter who I'm trying to teach to read. I'm not a teacher. I'm not trained how to teach other people to read. And I learned how to read very, very young. I was self-taught for the most part. And my parents love to tell this story. I was three years old at the grocery store and I was reading the front of cereal boxes. I cannot tell you how frustrating it was for me thinking that the best way for me to teach my daughter how to read was by telling her how I learned. It didn't work, and it's not going to. Mm -hmm. I took, I'm projecting my experience, my sense of right and wrong, onto this other person. So rather than thinking about my end user or my learner, in this case, if you're an enablement, I'm coming from me. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is we have to train that out of high-performing ICs if they're going to come into enablement because we have to give to give. It's not about what you want to say in a training session. It's about what your learner needs to hear, understand, and take away. What gives you more confidence then in selecting somebody that's been siloed in an MBA program that who knows when they last revisited that material either? What would make you more, more comfortable with that decision than the latter? Yeah, to be honest, I'm not totally comfortable with either. And so I always liken it to anytime I'm looking at somebody coming into enablement, it is great if they know the role. And that's great because they can hit the ground running in some ways, but they don't have project management experience, which is a key skill for enablement. They don't have formal learning or instructional design experience, which is a key skill for a lot of enablement. And so I think you have to be very aware of the skill set you're hiring in with each hire. Meaning if you're hiring two people in to work in a similar functions or be working alongside, Hiring for complementary skill sets is important. I've done this. I had two people starting within the month. One came as a high-performing IC with no enablement experience. The other one only had enablement experience. 
with all that said, I think anytime we're interviewing or looking at bringing somebody in, I don't care if they come from enablement, an MBA program, and yes, some of them are good, some of them are not great, or a high-performing IC role, I think we have to look at attitude and aptitude on day one in your interview. Because nobody's coming in knowing 100% of what we need them to do for the job. And if they are, you have hired somebody who is overqualified for the job. Hmm. So it's less about, to me, what is on your resume and more, what am I seeing in terms of your attitude and your aptitude during the interview process? I wanted to because little did you realize you touched a nerve with the Pepsi Challenge. But where I'm going with this full circle, Pepsi Challenge harkens back to a time when it was a more straightforward sales landscape, right? So you think about you are selling your consumer on that cracking of the can, and it is by and large a two-horse race in the cola world. As head of enablement at Lupio, now think about you are trying to sell them that first sip of cola, and you are not the only person that's selling them cola. In fact, there are a lot of other people now that are selling them healthier, cheaper alternatives. Any number of digs at Lupio, I'm wondering, what are you guys doing to get as close to that first sip as possible to certify at every consumer moment or customer moment, we are still delighting them on that refreshing Cindy Crawford caliber experience that they've been sold by your marketing and your sales team. So tell us a little bit about how you get that close to controlling every customer touch point. So first of all, nothing matters if you don't know who your customer is. So doing your ideal customer profile is not a set it and forget it. It's not a once every three years. It's at least once a year. You need to look at that. Who is my customer in the next 12 months? Because, you know, Danny, to your question of, is my cola the right product for you? Well, Danny, tell me about when you plan to drink the cola. What do you like to do with your days? Where do you live? Are you dehydrated? Are you tired? What matters the most to you is what I'm looking to get out of this. What matters to you? Start there. You cannot solve for a pain that you don't know and you don't understand. How are you guys using situational agility and remaining nimble as new information surfaces about, I no longer want to drink aluminum, I only drink glass? How do you evolve at that pace? Yeah, so it can't be reactionary. You need to know who you are. Okay. And if we stay with the Coke analogy, if you know you're a soda company, you're not gonna go make juice. If your product is a cola product, that is you. You need to figure out where your fit is and how to offer the most value to your customer. So you don't be reactionary, but here's what you need to be doing. If one of your primary customers is, let's say, sales enablers, okay? Easy example. What are your sales enablers, your ICPs experiencing right now? Well. They are likely being told that they need to support a revenue number, do more with less. They have likely had their teams cut in terms of either net new headcount or existing headcount for the next 12 months. They're likely also feeling overwhelmed and burnt out because Q3, Q4, for anybody who is on the Salesforce calendar, was a bloodbath for a lot of companies. And it's always full force in the last three, four months of the year. So your customer, if you're thinking about enabler, is tired, they care about efficiency, and they're also going to be looking for some element of support above and beyond what they were six months ago. Now, enter insights for you. Mm -hmm. You think through the immediate pain that your product solves for, right? How do you enable 
that sales enabler to get access to data that they can't today so that they can be better at their jobs? How can you act as a supplement to the headcount that they just lost so that their team can still deliver that value to the org even though they lost that headcount? But beyond that, and this is where you get into the real value add, you know I'm feeling insecure as an enabler in this example. You know I'm feeling a lack of support, and you know I'm likely feeling a lot of personal pressure. What does my onboarding experience look like? What can you tell me in my solution stage about the support I'm going to get? Include it. Give me comfort. Give me what's important. This is going to cost you a lot less than that. But more importantly, I want you to know that I'm in this with you. Enablers are not alone. What I've included in here is 10 hours of ad hoc support. Use it however you want in your first three months with us. We got you. What that means, Danny, is you don't have to worry about training every single person in the sales organization yourself. I'll do a train the trainer with you. You can record the sessions and you'll be able to embed those in your learning plans. So it's one less thing that would take time away from you six months from now when we go live. Just so appreciate the authenticity and being real about the landscape in which enables are playing right now. Steph, again, thanks for being just so candid and unapologetically honest. Really appreciate it. I had to end us on a silly note and then we will get to our final, which I'll pass to you, Danny, but Pepsi or Coke. So Danny, go ahead and go first. I don't want you to be influenced by Steph's answer. <laughs> As someone who is easily influenced, then it's got to be Coke from a glass bottle, preferably produced somewhere in Mexico. <laughs> Steph, back to you. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to give you my answer. I would absolutely be Team Pepsi all the way. Um, I am also Team Pepsi. I can't believe that. Uh, There's such consensus, and that's coming from an Atlanta native, so there you go. I will say that as one of the co-hosts of Reveal and as someone who is keeping tabs on the caffeine content of Coke Black, the Surgeon General does not recommend that amount of caffeine intake as it will teleport you into the stratosphere. My God, I now understand acutely, Steph, why you are in fact the greatest hype woman because there is Coke Black that is coursing through your veins. Uh, Well, now that we know what your secret sauce is, we will formally close with the same question, which is if you could describe sales in one word, Steph, what one word would it be? Beautiful hot mess. I love sales because I love the challenge of uncovering problems and problem solving and delivering value. But done wrong, it is just a hot mess of an experience for so many of us to be on the receiving end and frankly, the delivery end of sometimes. But at the end of the day, I love what we do. I love the value that we can bring, hence the beautiful part, to our end users, to our customers, to our partners. When we do what we do really well, the butterfly effect and the impact that we can have in a positive way is an amazing thing. So it is a beautiful, hot mess for me when we think about what sales is. And I mean that in the most endearing way possible. Let's go try to make it beautiful. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performing sales teams, head on over to gong.io. If you like what you heard, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.